Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. Eric Dean here, Mile High Sports, joined by Ryan Bolding of NHL.com. We're here to break down all things hockey, all things avalanche. And Ryan, we've got quite a few things we could talk about here. Let's see what you think and where you'd want to start. So the avalanche win four to one, big, big game. Kale McCarr leaves with what looked like another head injury, comes back. Bowen Bottom scores two goals. Kids flying out there. You can see the confidence oozing out of him. Val Nachushkin gets back on the board on the power play, finally. Miko Rantanen finally scores goal number 200. Eustace Annanen comes in and wins a game, pretty much getting little to no work uh, needed for him to kind of win that game. The St. Louis Blues traded their captain. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I think let's just start <laughs> at the beginning with the, the game in general. But I, I hear you. Like, so much happened and there was the potential here for a big letdown game from the Avalanche, right? Like yeah. we've seen a couple of those this season where they should be winning and everything is screaming, you should be winning this. And then they don't, but they did today. Yeah. I mean, last night, so I have a group chat with a couple of the media members in Denver and we just like to, uh, uh, we made the group chat when we were on the road a couple months ago and we just want to, we just like to predict scores. We use this group chat for nothing but score predicting. And at like 10 o'clock PM last night, I'm pulling up into my house and actually it was more around 9 PM and I'm pulling up into my house and Peter Ball randomly messages the group and says five, nothing avalanche. And we're all like, all right, well, it's not even game day yet. And then he goes, uh, they just they, they don't have O'Reilly, so I'm going. I'm I'm putting in my score from now, and I didn't really think much of it in my head. I'm like, all right, you know, Ryan O'Reilly's been in and out of the lineup, and then like 20 minutes later, I'm like, wait, they traded Ryan O'Reilly, and it hit me in that moment like the trade had been announced at 11 o'clock Eastern time, nine o'clock Mountain time to trade Ryan O'Reilly Nolachari to Toronto. Uh, we found out this morning that Tori Krug wasn't going to be playing either. So yeah, like everything about this, this is a team that already traded, uh, who did they trade? Tarasenko and uh, Nico Mikola. It, like yep. everything was set up against the Avalanche. They were putting in their third goalie. Josh Manson was getting a scheduled rest day, but they came out and did what they should have done and what they knew they could do and not only win the game, but dominate the game from start to finish. Never really have any bit of a concern throughout the night that they were going to lose it. And that's what you want to see on the first game of a back-to-back because you need your energy for tomorrow and for Edmonton. Yeah, really a big third period too. Like we talked about this on the podcast earlier this week, but this is a team that hasn't had good third periods. They had one goal in, I don't know what, 10 games against a goalie in the third period. Not ideal. You know, they get a couple big third period goals. They played solid throughout. You know, at one point it was 2-1 and maybe the Blues had a little life at the end of the, the second period there, but the Avs just came out swinging, stomped it down, shut the game down, you know, the, the kind of uh, you know, finisher mindset, like that lethal knock them off, keep them out of it mindset that this team had last year and that the team needs to really, you know, reintroduce going forward if they expect to do anything in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was this is how you close out games. They kind of had something similar going on against Minnesota where they were they were doing a good job until the wild the last, I don't know, seven or eight minutes of the third period just kind of took over and obviously scored a goal and then put Colorado on their heels. And, you know, we heard, if you were watching it on Altitude, you heard Riker and Mosier talk about how that late power play for St. Louis, how good did it feel for Eustace Annan and the Avalanche to not be up by just a goal, to have to kill this power play 
uh, you know, to save the game from going to overtime. The fact that they were up three goals, they felt comfortable, they felt confident, and it was just a matter of let's just get through these next couple minutes and win this thing rather than needing to kind of play until the final buzzer. When they were right at almost the halfway point of the game and the Avs were out shooting St. Louis 21 to seven, that's mm-hmm. a three to one ratio. You know, I was like, is, is Annan going to get out of this game with like 10 or fewer shots? This is going to be unreal. Like the, the kid didn't even have to do much. And obviously St. Louis, you know, did their best there toward the end and put some shots on, got a goal, like made, made it an effort from their team at least. And it was a good performance from Ananen. He looked good. I actually think he was pretty close to stopping the one goal that went in. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to see enough replays, but I think his stick hit something when he was sliding across. And so he might've not been set the way he wanted to, but you know, great performance from him. This is his third NHL game, his second start. He's 2-0 and in starts. He's really 2-0-1 in the NHL, which is great. It's the goalie of the future. You want to see that he can come in and hang. I don't know that it was too much of a test for him, like I kind of mentioned before, but that's you know a kind of game you want to see from him, a kind of game you want to see from the team. You mentioned Bo Byram off the top. I really think that this is like his I'm back game. You know, he's kind of been building toward this for a while and just, you can see what his addition does to this back end. Yeah. So let me start with Eustace Annan in real quick. This is, I believe his second year now playing with the avalanche after uh, coming over from Europe, I want to say. And last year he started in the HL, you know, his numbers weren't great, but it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment for any player coming from Europe, especially a goalie. And the two games that he got into that you're referring to were December, 2021. So this entire calendar year of 2022, where somewhere in between, he was the backup to Pavel Francouz during that Edmonton series. In the uh, playoffs. In the playoffs, in the Western Conference final, before game four, because games, it was for games two and three, because Kemper started game one, got hurt, Frankie took over. Games two and three, Annan was the backup game four. Kemper was healthy. They decided to just let Frankie close out the series, and he did. Um But this is a guy that in that 2022 calendar year did not see a minute of action outside of, you know, sitting on the bench for those couple games and probably some regular season games in there as well. I don't remember. But, you know, he's made a ton of progress. His AHL numbers are better this year. This is the goalie that you expect to be the goalie of the future. You have to remember how young he is. You have to remember that these guys can take time. And, you know, suddenly you have a 22-year-old that you feel confident and comfortable playing is huge for the avalanche because, again, you know, how many years did we talk about ignore the goaltending? How many years did we talk about Colorado being unable to have a, their own homegrown defenseman that could turn into a top defenseman? And now suddenly they've got both Bowen Byram and Kale McCarr. The goaltending, they still have yet to figure out who's the best goalie they've ever drafted and developed themselves. Peter Budai, a career backup that had a couple yeah. years as a starter because they had no other choice. Like, that's ultimately the only guy. Philip Sauvé was a backup for a couple of years. David Abisher was a backup for a couple of years, then traded. Uh, his I mean, first Spencer Martin's starter. doing fine for Vancouver right now. Yeah. But yeah, but you're again, right. Again, you're grasping at straws. This isn't a team that's uh, drafting and developing starting goalies and trading them away. This is a team that's drafting and developing, d- drafting backup goalies, kind of developing them, trading them away. So to have someone that you can hopefully see as a future starter would be huge. When you've like guys like Adam Werner, right? Big yep. goalies from Europe that come in and don't really pan out. I'm trying to think of uh, Roman Will, that that kid, oh, nicest yeah. kid. 
like totally has botched like knee surgeries or hip surgeries ends his career, you know, like wild things have happened for the avalanche. I was actually saying on the hockey show earlier today, like remember when Ryan Stoa was like the future of this organization. (laughs) If you really want to go down the rabbit hole of like, undeveloped prospects or unmet potential. It's great to see where Ananen is at. And, you know, he's a guy, I talked to him over the summer for a a little piece on NHL.com. And we talked a lot about his adjustment to the league in his first year pro in North America, like what he learned being around the team in the postseason, his expectation for carrying the load for the Colorado Eagles this season. And as soon as we saw him at practice yesterday, it was like, this kid has to be getting a start here because the whole point of this season for him is to play as many games as possible and learn and grow. So it's awesome that he got in right away that he had a good game. You know, you want to, you would rather almost see him face 40 shots than, you know, I don't know, 22, but uh, to, to get his confidence up is great. And something I was struck by yesterday, just seeing him in the locker room is he's a guy with a bit of a, a, like a pudgy baby face. Right. Yeah. But he was pretty fit you know, underneath all of it. Like he walked by with a shirt off and I'm like, you kid is ripped. Yeah. He, shre- he shredded for a goalie. Yeah. You want to see it. Like ho- hopefully his movement is good. You know, hopefully yeah. he doesn't do the Nathan McKinnon put on 15 pounds of muscle and can't move <laughs> kind of thing. I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, look at this point with guys like this, especially the way this season has gone for the abs where, you know, ultimately they are fighting for positioning. They are fighting for the playoffs. We talked to Josh Manson yesterday and he kind of said like, you know, you don't always want to be first place. You want to, you know, have games that matter. You don't want to coast into the playoffs. And we're seeing that from the avalanche. But because of that, you can't just throw in kids like Eustace Annanen. And just experiment and see what you got there. You need an excuse to play them. And and this was an excuse to play them. Like this was a very valid reason to play Andonen. You have Pavel Francouz on the shelf for what Jared said would be about three weeks. You have Georgiev who already started two straight games. He's got Edmonton on Sunday here at Ball Arena. You need someone to step up. You don't want to play Jonas Johansson. You want him to be a backup. He's a trooper. God bless him. But he's the Mark Barbario of, of goalies. He's a guy that's always going to be that extra guy that's going to be good in the locker room. And, and, and you know, people love to have him around. But Annan is a kid that you want to see play. And you had a reason to play him. And, you you know, you got you got the result you wanted. So great for that kid. Great to see his development kind of taken off here. You got... Frankie under contract for one more year after this, Georgie under contract for two more years after this. And you have to remember, Annan will turn 23 in a month, in less than a month. So still very young for a goalie and still pretty much on on track to, you know, hopefully be what the Avalanche organization wants him to be. Now, I'm going to shift from that. Georgiev. I was yeah. just going to say, like, he's already started the most games he has played in a, in a yep. season, right? You, you went to him in back-to-back games <laughs> last week last week and you don't want to just crush this kid before the playoffs right so to your point it's you had an excuse to play in and then and you did and it it was perfect yeah and you also had that stretch earlier in the season where i think it was 12 consecutive starts for georgia or some crazy number like that uh uh, excuse me so i want to shift from that to i have a trivia question from you for you do you Uh remember who had the most time on ice june 26 Game six, Tampa Bay, Colorado, Stanley Cup final, cup clinching game. Who had the most time on ice for the Avalanche? Oh, God. I mean, outside of the goalie? Yes, maybe, outside of the goalie. Maybe, uh, I, I don't know, Taves or Makar. It's got to be Makar. I mean, the kid is. You would think. 
yeah. you would think it was number four, Bowen Byram. I was going to say Byram too. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like we kind of talked about him already. No, no, no. But yeah. here, here's the purpose of bringing that up. This is a kid that last year had his concussion issues, had to leave the team. You know, when the trade deadline came around, we kind of like thought of him as a wash. The Avalanche bought in Josh Manson. They got Gerard. They got Taves. They got McCarr. There's your top four. You got EJ. You got JJ. You got Ryan Murray. You got all these depth guys to kind of slot in. We'll, we'll you know, reconnect with Bo Byram for the 22-23 season. Lo and behold, Bo comes back just like this year, just like these past couple of weeks, slowly starts to get his confidence. Then the playoffs comes around. He takes off to the point where the cup-clinching game for the Colorado Avalanche, the most time on ice wasn't the guy that won the Consumite Trophy. It was Bo Byram because he was that damn good. And you're starting to see that happen again. And it's kind of wild to think. Like, you know, we often think of players like Peter Forsberg and say what could have been, what we could have seen had it not been for his injuries. Sidney Crosby's been around for 18 years. We still say what could have been, what he could have done had he not had those concussions in his prime. Bowen Byram, for his entry-level deal, what could have been had he not had these injuries? Because we saw him start to get his feet wet last year, take off in the playoffs. We've started to see him now in his sixth game back, slowly build back up to the point where today the confidence was oozing out of this kid. He looked like the Bowen Byram that you expect out of coming out of that Stanley Cup final last year. And like what better time for the Avalanche then right now for Bowen Byram to be back to the kid, you know, he could be to have Josh Manson back healthy. I know he sat today, but that was a planned, according to the team, a scheduled sitting for, for Josh yeah. Manson, a you surprise have to, scheduled yeah, rest day, a surprise scheduled rest day after we all had a nice press conference with him yesterday. Um, and obviously to have Sam Gerard 14 points in his last 18 games, all of these guys picking it up at the right time, like, you can't say enough about what Bo is doing right now at the best time going into the stretch run. Yeah. You love to see it. And you almost wonder if, you know, the, the time away from the rink puts into perspective, like the work needed and what needs to be done. Right. So he wants it more, maybe making up for missed time, you know, being like, I'm young and I have a lot of years ahead of me and I've already missed these many games and, and this much of my career. Like I, I am hungry for it. And that's what you want to see. Like he's, he's ready to go. He's had adversity uh, and it's benefited him where, you know, some people, maybe they get down on themselves, start questioning whether they're going to be able to play, you know, whether a, a head injury is something that's going to be there in the back of their mind for, you know, a long time or a, a short amount of time. So it's always impressive to see how players recover from a situation like that and to see, Bo, who essentially, I think, admitted that his early season injury was the result of something that hadn't healed during the offseason, you know, that was worse than anticipated. And you saw this long dance. I think he's, he's gotten back in the groove maybe quicker than we expected, but he's young. He's bouncing back. He knows the game. He knows when to jump up. He's got two goals today. I keep replaying the pass he made to McKinnon over and over in my mind against Tampa last week, you yeah. know, where McKinnon sets up this, this whole situation in the zone. Get, Byram gets the puck, walks right down, shoots it across the zone for an easy tap in. Like that's the kind of thing that this team has missed. Absolutely. I mean, again, this is a kid that, you know, he first joined the avalanche in that bubble in Edmonton. I want to say he was one of the extras that came on board. Didn't play a game. Then he was there for the whole season in 2021, the season that started January 2021. The 56 gamer obviously had some issues with some injuries there, had some issues with injuries there uh, last year, 
Today was just his 65th regular season game. We're talking about almost three years of this guy being part of the team. Three years, and he has played 65 regular season games, obviously to go along with 20 playoff games. So he was there for the entire postseason last year. And he's someone you expect to play this role. Like I, I often think about the confusing and the how the hell do you deal with the Bowen Byram contract extension this summer? Because this is a kid that, you know, had he played these three years, the what could have been uh, probably lining up for a pretty big contract. Like you're seeing a lot of the young stars in the NHL sign eight year deals, big money, get it out of the way from now. We just saw Mikhail Sergachev coming off of a bridge deal sign, something like that. But now it's looking like the Avalanche might be able to lock up Bowen for a bridge deal, but we'll see what happens. I mean, it, the, the last part of this regular season is going to determine a lot of that. The playoffs is going to determine a lot of that, but this is a kid that can do it all. We saw the goal today. I mean, his power play goal today, to say nothing of his playmaking in that pass to McKinnon last week, to say nothing of his playmaking that we've seen all season and the flashes he's had, that power play goal today, that one-timer, that looked like Nathan McKinnon to me, and I was waiting for them to say Nathan McKinnon and lo and behold, it was Bowen Byram. So just a new aged NHL defenseman. The Avalanche already have one in Kale McCarr. They got another in Bowen Byram. Just an exceptional talent. And to to pair him with Josh Manson and the return of Josh Manson is so important to the team that you have your three, four pairing back. Like mm-hmm. nobody has been able to carry that the way it's needed. Right. Eric Johnson and Sam Gerard haven't been able to get it done. Obviously, Brad Hunt. Curtis McDermott, Andreas England can't really fill that role. So it, I mean, this is for most of the season since November 5th, when, when Byram has been out. And then I don't remember when Manson was out, but I mean, December, right. Late November, December, there's just been a hole in the middle of the defense that's been missing. And and obviously we're starting to see exactly what these guys bring to this lineup. Yeah. So you got Bowen Byram and Josh Manson hopefully playing together tomorrow on Sunday against the Edmonton Oilers. You got Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, and then you got Sam Gerrard, who's got 14 points his last 18 games, now on your third pair. The Avalanche haven't had all five of what Jared called his horses on the blue line, because obviously now EJ's injured. He hasn't had all five of his horses in the same game, all dressed, all healthy, since November 4th. Today is February 18th. So with that, I'm going to transition to... It could happen tomorrow based on what happens with Kale McCarr, who once again left the game today, just like he did on February 7th against the Penguins. Once again, left the game today after taking a hit to the head. Uh, A little bit of a different play than the Jeff Carter one. This one could be any little bit of things. Before we get into our thoughts on Kale McCarr leaving the game, on his health for tomorrow, potentially on him coming back. I want to get some quotes from Kale from Kyle Fredrickson, who's the Avalanche reporter for the Colorado Gazette. He is the only guy on the beat that is on the road today and just tweeted a couple of minutes ago, speaking with Kale McCarr. Uh, Kale McCarr expects to play tomorrow versus Edmonton after another blow to the head. Quote from Kale. Yeah, I hope so. Unless anything turns just a tough one. I ca- I got kind of bruised on the nose just because I think my visor hit it, but we'll see. Uh, McCarr on returning to play today after missing the past four games. Quote. I just wanted to make sure I felt good in all areas. That's kind of the way this ha- it has to go with these protocols. I thought I felt good. So with that, let's get into Kale McCarr, his injury, him coming back, getting another hit to the head, and then returning in the game. I mean, I, I have strong feelings on this. And his quote and what Jared Bednar said about his, you know, his visor basically hitting him in the nose 
changes the perspective a little bit right yeah. but if you're if 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 your reaction to a hit in the head is the one that Makar has, and then we know it's his visor now, but looking at it in real time, he gets hit in the head and is, you know, looks to be in pain or at least concerned for his health. And if you're at that level where, you know, any, let's say innocent blow to the head could set you back into an absence like he had, which wasn't long, luckily, but could result in a Bowen Byram level absence or multiple absences for, you know, concussion issues. I think the concern is why are you playing? Why are you there? Right. Remember Mark Savard, his, his career essentially ended on a totally innocuous hit at Pepsi center. By Matt Hunwick. Yeah. (laughs) Matt Hunwick doesn't throw hits. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Hunwick isn't a big guy. Little play where his head rattled, his brain moved likely. And that was it you know, and that wasn't the big injury. So the, the concern is always what level of recovery is Kale McCarr actually at if a, a, a seemingly innocent, you know, glove, hand, fist to face in a collision is something that can knock you out for a couple shifts while you get checked out. Should he come back into the game? I guess I see his point where he wanted to make sure he was good to go, right? But in a game like that against the Blues, it didn't happen, luckily, but it can get ugly there at the end. You know, we yeah. saw Logan Brown eat some ice with his face after a hit from Andreas England. You know, I don't think it was like an intentional injurious play, but things can get kind of out of control from that point on. You know, the Blues are losing guys. They lost Buchnevich. Like, uh, Kairou took a puck to the hand. Like, there could be a moment where they feel like, okay, you're really bruising us, which is great because this is a team that used to push the avalanche around. Now the avalanche are giving it back to them, but you worry about, you know, Kale McCarr finishing the last eight minutes of a game where they are easily winning, where his head is health is in question and where it could get Goonie out there. Yeah. I mean, you could easily see why it just makes sense to just sit him for the rest of the game and then let him still speak to media and come out and say, you know, I feel good for tomorrow. There was just no reason to return in that game. Um, but at the same time, it's it's so hard to kind of gauge what happened there on that play. Because when I first saw his reaction, the first thing that I thought could possibly be going through his head was like, oh, boy, here we go again. I got to go through this concussion protocol crap. But at the same time, obviously, he is in pain. So, like, which was it? Was it? oh shit, I feel something concussion related like coming back or was it, oh, here we go again. I have to go through all of this. Um, the replay, you know, Mosier and, and Rycroft kind of tried to play a little bit of doctor. They're showing the replay over and over again. Did he get hit in the nose? Was it like a punch to the nose? And that's why it felt like he needed to go. Was it a side, the side of the noggin where maybe it could have scrambled him a little bit? Like you couldn't really tell what happened there. Um, is it a good sign that he finished the game? Uh, 11 days ago, I would have said yes. Um, but we've seen time and time again, and Kale McCart after the Pittsburgh game was just one of many examples we've seen in the NHL where players come back and finish the game and then end up still having concussion issues. The fact that he came right out today and said like, you know, I expect to play tomorrow and, you know, unless something turns bad and I thought I felt good and I thought I felt good. It reminds me of something that Jared said when asked about Kale McCart by Kyle Fredrickson last week at practice on Monday, actually. He said, you know, most importantly, we talk to Kale. We ask him how he feels, we this, we that. 
it's still strange to me that a player kind of has the say in this because of course Kale's going to say he feels fine. Of course Kale right now is going to say he feels fine to play unless something goes wrong. Like not to play negative Nancy, not to kind of expect the worst, but a player telling me or a player telling their coach or telling us or telling media, telling anybody that they feel fine isn't going to say much to me because of course they're going to say that you and I would do the same thing in his shoes. Many of us would do the same thing. So that's the one thing that you have to keep in mind when a player comes back. It doesn't, we saw it 11 days ago. Doesn't necessarily mean he's ready to go. Doesn't mean he's going to play tomorrow. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. And I get the point, you know, that the abs have reached this season with some of these longer term injuries that are just, you know, taking forever to heal right we've heard it with darren helm we've heard it with val nachushkin we've heard it with kale mccarr where it's when the player tells me they are ready i'll put them back into the lineup and like you said you would you would feel good about that except mccarr returned to a game he shouldn't have returned to and then was out afterward you know and i get it your adrenaline's going you know everything's happening very fast and you're like i don't feel anything and then, you know, your everything comes down, the adrenaline's gone, your your body crashes, and you're like, oh, I really don't feel yeah. good. I understand that, but you know, the way that he left that penguins game, he shouldn't have come back. No. And that's the fact of the matter. So when you see this, okay, we see what he says post game. So his his helmet hit him in the nose, and that's it. Hopefully, he still shouldn't have come back in this game. Just rest him. Just rest him. This is a guy who is leading the NHL, the entire NHL in time on ice per game previously. I haven't looked to verify it's still the case, but it was yesterday at 27 minutes, four seconds. And you're going into a back-to-back against Edmonton. Like it's it's going to be a big game. Edmonton's fighting for, you know, more solid than wild card playoff position. So it's probably going to be a good game. And you want him there. Like there, there's no need to have him finish this game when you know St. Louis was, I mean, struggling early and, and putting on a, a push at the end, but it was over. Yeah. With that little break of that Kemakar took for leaving the game for a little while there, he played 21, 27. His average time on ice has dropped below 27 minutes. Wow. He's at 26, 57, obviously still leads the NHL. Dowdy and Darlene are at 26, 09 and 26 on the nose for, for Rasmus Darlene. So almost a minute behind him. Yeah, he's 50, what is that, 48 seconds ahead of Drew Doughty and 57 seconds ahead of Darlene. And then you got Thomas Shabbat of Otto at 25.45. And in fifth place, Devon Taves at 25.35. These are updated with today's numbers. So, um, And that's just defensemen. Yeah, yeah, that's just that's just the the blue liners, and you know when you go into when you go into the forwards, I think we talked about this last episode. Three of the top five are all Avalanche players. You got the two guys from Edmonton and the three guys from Colorado, uh, and Val Nachushkin at the time was rounding out the top ten. And Val Nachushkin's a guy that's been playing a lot of games hurt, so that's kind of what it's been like for the Avalanche. Nachushkin's down to thirteen now, thirteenth now for forwards. Um, Rantanen and Makar are still one and three, and Lekkinen is sixth behind Nick Suzuki. Regardless, you get the point. The Avalanche have needed to overplay a lot of these guys. They've needed to do it all season. Um, and that's kind of what worries me about when these players come back from injuries. It's that, you know, you can't take Darren Helm, you know, when he came back for five games, or Val Nachushkin when he came back, I think, the first time, or Kel Makar coming back for the Pittsburgh game. You can't take these guys and just like, remove them from reality from society not let them take a peek at the standings not let them see what's happening 
and truly give you like a, a legit 100% response when they say, I'm ready to go. Because, you know, Darren Helm was watching that. Darren Helm is watching the Avalanche and Jared Bednar go out there every single day and play eight forwards. And then the other four forwards, which includes like Jacob McDonald, who's really a defenseman, uh, Martin Cow, you know, two guys that are now gone. Uh, ben Myers, Dryden Hunt, uh, Anton Bleed, Lucas Sedlak Magna. for like a minute, yeah. Jacob Megna, uh, Jason Megna, I should say, like playing all of these guys for two, three, yeah. four minutes. Who's the other one? McDermott. McDermott, yes, Curtis still McDermott. In. He's still yeah. in somehow. Well, I just well, don't, I don't he's, understand. He's on defense, which makes even less sense to me. We talked about that the other day. I'd rather play him at forward if at all. And, you know, obviously I'd rather him not playing, but especially not at defense. So when you look at Darren Helm looking at this and thinking like, God, Logan O'Connor and Andrew Cogliano were my fourth line wingers in the Stanley Cup final. And now they're playing second slash third line minutes like this dude is obviously itching to get back in the lineup, itching to give Jared Bednar another player that he can trust for 10 to 12 to 13 to 14 minutes a night and know that it's guy that can play, not guy that should be in the AHL. So you see it often. You see it all the time. You just hope this time around, Kale McCarr is kind of going to be a little bit more aware of this. And, you know, I don't know what it's going to come down to, but if Kale McCarr doesn't play tomorrow, then you really got to start to think about taking that decision out of his hands. If he doesn't play tomorrow for the same reason, which obviously, you know, no matter what the team tells us, they can say it was a scheduled absence or whatever the hell they said with Josh Manson. Nobody will believe it. Given what happened to Kel McCart today, if he is not on the ice for puck drop in what we're looking at 22 hours from now, um, the guy could the guy could trip on the airplane and break his leg. And I still wouldn't believe them. It is absolutely something that you would have to take the decision away from his hands if he does not play that game tomorrow. When I think we see that with every player coming back, right? We we talk to them like, how hard is it for you to watch this team struggle and, and win and struggle while you can't do anything about it? Trying to gauge like, did you rush your recovery? Like maybe yeah. we should just start asking, did you rush your recovery? Or do you feel like you are 100%? Everybody's going to say they're 100%, right? <laughs> Josh Manson looked 100%. That The team had, he played in the second of a back-to-back fresh. The team had a day off. They had a practice day and then suddenly he's got a scheduled day off. Now we're watching it where he's supposed to play tomorrow. But if Josh Manson doesn't play tomorrow, now what's going on? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's one of those things where you're like, is, what is happening? And to a degree, if, if players continue to come back and then leave hurt again with the same injury, are we looking at what the training staff is doing? What Sean Allard is doing? Like what, what is happening on this recovery for these guys? If this continues to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's been the story of the entire season and it's something that the avalanche have to take into account because we're only 13 days away from the trade deadline. And there's a lot to be a lot that needs to be kind of figured out between now and then. But um, the biggest thing right now, I think for the avalanche is, the number one thing that they have to start to find a way to do, and I know it's luck is not on your side for a lot of these things, but we're talking about all the ways that you can help this is when you get players back, you got to make sure they're ready to go and aren't going to get injured again, or at least not re-aggravate the same thing. Like Kale McCarr can come back from a concussion and knock on wood, you know, he could unluckily block a shot and, and hurt his ankle. Like, 
I, I get it. Things like that happen. But to have players in and out of the lineup for the same injuries, Darren Helm, Jared wasn't even shy to say it. It's the same injury. Played five games, didn't work out. See you later, take a hike. Val Nachushkin, the scar tissue, the ankle, the whole thing that's been going on. Um, you, you just, you got to find a way to make sure that these guys are coming back healthy because we've seen it time and time again all season. All the Avs just have one or two or three more guys injured. And then suddenly it's back up to five because EJ and Frankie joined the list. And, oh, they're good to go. And then suddenly, you know, back in November, Rodriguez gets injured. And then Cogliano gets injured. And, like, you got to find a way to let that to figure that out because, again, this trade deadline is going to be very crucial for the Avalanche. But we will talk a little bit about that. before. But before we do that, uh, Val Nachushkin. Just mention him. Uh, for starters, do you have any any other comments before we turn to Val? No, yeah, Val's perfect. I mean, perfect. The guy has finally scored a goal. Yeah, uh, his first goal since January twenty against Vancouver on the road. Uh, just his second goal since Madison Square Garden. So, for those that you know have been keeping track and remember, Val Nachushkin started the season with seven goals in seven games. He had seven goals, five assists to start the year, and I believe it was one, two, three, four, five of the goals on the power play. He had five power play goals out of his seven in seven games. Since then, he has returned once, left again, returned a second time after a two-week absence. He has played, I believe, a total of 18 games since, or sorry, 19 games since, and he just scored his second goal. You got to hope this guy can figure it out and turn things around. We talked about what he did the other day against the Tampa Bay Lightning. The last time you and I did a podcast before Minnesota, where he was that, you know, he he had an assist and he was crucial on that goal. 50 seconds in by the Avs, where he was screening Vasilevsky, just parking his ass in the crease, letting that clear shot from Lekkonen go on the power play and on other plays. You saw him kind of mucking it up in the crease, something we hadn't seen from him in a while. You kind of saw him floating around the edges a little bit for that middle part of the season because you can tell he was playing hurt. But now he comes in, he scores another goal today. This is another guy that you need to pick it up. Yep. You want to see this give him some confidence. Like he started the season and you're like, okay, this is a guy that got paid and he got paid for what he contributed to this team leading up to and in the postseason on the way to winning the Stanley Cup, right? He was a trooper. He probably doesn't play a game seven if Tampa wins that because his foot is so messed up. Uh, and he comes out, starts the season the way you are expecting, and then mm-hmm. deals with this ankle injury, scores two goals in his time back. He's in and out of the lineup. Like he's taking maintenance days on practice, like a practice in morning skate in a row, right? So now everybody's sitting there with bated breath. Back as Nuchushkin staying in, like what's happening? I still don't think he's a hundred percent. I, you know, he had a sequence in the Blues game where he lost the puck, tried to recover in the zone, had to curl out of the zone, had the puck knocked off his stick, had to chase it down into the Avalanche zone, lost it. It went around the the boards to the Blues. You know, this was all the puck on his stick leads to a Blues zone pressure opportunity. And, and you look at it and you're like, that's just not normal Val Nadushkin, you know? Yeah. And I think he is, you know, maybe it's a, a situation he was dealing with an upper body injury most likely, but, or most lately, but it's similar to the Leon Dreisaitl in the postseason. just in that, you know, does his, his presence on the ice make up for his absence on the ice? And I think it does, you mm-hmm. know, maybe Dreisaitl was more of a detriment 
in all situations uh, for Edmonton in the playoffs. But I mean, they they're really screwed without him there. And I think, you know, having Nachushkin in the lineup at least makes makes teams have to game plan for him, have to cover him, even if he's not 100 percent. But we talked about it in the Tampa game where it seemed like he was struggling to, to catch some passes and things from McKinnon. Like, I just don't see him at 100 percent, but you're hoping this goal gets him going offensively. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that, like, healthy at full force. Val Nachushkin strikes me as the kind of guy that's going to give you anywhere from 72 to 80 games a year because he's not going to play 82. Barely anybody does these days. But 72 to 80 games, a solid 25 goals, 30 assists, maybe 35 assists, you know, 55, 60 point forward on the wing, two-way guy, penalty killer, uh, four checker. Like that's what you're paying 6.125 million for. And that's what 6.125 million is worth. What we've had this year is kind of ever since that seven game stretch to start the year, it's been, it's been unfortunate, but it hasn't, it's been underwhelming obviously because of injuries. It hasn't been what the avalanche won. And it's kind of wild when you look at the standings, because, Colorado is now four points back of Winnipeg. They have a game in hand and they are seven points back of Dallas and they have two games in hand. So again, very reachable things, especially given the fact that Dallas is four, one and five in their last 10, um, you know, really feasted on those OT loss points, but the avalanche are still within reach of potentially winning this entire conference or at least the division, or at least having home ice advantage. And, Val Nachushkin's got two goals since October 25th. Gabe Landeskog's got zero goals all year. You haven't replaced Nazem Kadri. You lost his 20-something goals. You've lost Burakovsky's 20-something goals. And the only guy you've replaced all of that production with is Evan Rodriguez. And for some reason, Andrew Cagliano scoring goals again. He hasn't done that in five or six years. So the amount of goals he's scoring this year. So like the fact that they're doing this good in itself is a miracle. Obviously, it's, they're a little fortunate that the Western Conference isn't like the East this year. Um, but at the same time, like if you get Gabe Landeskog back and there's going to be a lot of ifs in the sentence, if you get Gabe Landeskog back, if you find a center to play with Gabe and to play with Val and suddenly Val could pick up his production a little bit more than he has been since October 25th. Those are three additions to the lineup, a second line center, Gabe Landeskog and Val Nachushkin starting to produce again. That is going to completely change the output outlook of this offense is going to completely change the fact that we're talking about the abs just not scoring a lot of goals this year and then you dig into why they're not scoring and it's like well yeah of course it's Ranton and McKinnon Lekinen and that's basically it Bowen Byram just scored two goals and he's up to four because of injuries like they just haven't had that luck this year and and you want to hopefully see it turn around here yeah, I, I mean, I keep bringing this number up, and I'm sure it's changed some with what Connor McDavid's been doing. But Miko Rantanen was leading the league with hit the 22% share of his team's goals. He had, yeah. you know, he has been carrying this team. At least he did early. He, you know, he was held off the score sheet for six games before getting his 200th goal tonight, and that's spoken to the struggles on offense for this team, but they have so much talent. They have so much ability to close out games and their defense is so good. Goaltending is good that they have won games. They've won games. They shouldn't have won. They've won games. They should have won. They've lost some games. They should have won, but you, you talk about where they're at at this point with the, the players they lost with the goal scoring they've lost. That just speaks to how good this team still is if it can be a hundred percent healthy. And that's like the biggest question mark here, right? Do you, does Landis even come back for the postseason? 
I don't know. And, you know, the longer this goes on, I'm not so sure that it happens, but he, yeah. he went and had knee surgery and played, I would say exceptionally well for the circumstances in the playoffs last year. You just never know. But if, if Landis Gog misses all season and is playing hurt in the postseason, is it worth it? You know, I think when you look back at last year, it was worth it. He put everything on the line and the team won the Stanley cup, but I think the team is paying for that. And Landis Gog is paying for that now. You know, do you, do you take years off of his career for one more Stanley cup push this year? I don't know. And that's, we talked to Jared Bednar about the additions of Manson and Byram yesterday and what that does for everybody else in the lineup, adding a second line center, adding Gabe Landeskog back, having Nachushkin 100% if he can get there, take some time pressure, you know, off of the McKinnon-Lekkinen-Nachushkin uh, line or the McKinnon-Lekkinen-Rantanen uh, line, depending on how it goes, right? You can take some of the workload off of the top line and spread it throughout the lineup as that depth kind of normalizes and that will help some of these guys who are dealing with bumps and bruises and stuff yeah absolutely it's the fact that it'll you know you'll start to not have to really overplay your top guys you can trust your third and fourth lines a little bit more you can spread the wealth a little bit more than you have been able to obviously starting from miko Rantanen all the way down um you know a lot could change for the avalanche here uh, I do want to kind of get into a little bit of that. We don't have to spend too much time on it because we're already 41 minutes deep on a post gamer, but uh, trade deadline stuff, obviously Ryan O'Reilly trade and all that. Before that, I'm finally going to remember this time. Uh, I want to tell you guys a little bit about Superbook Sports. Make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head to head with the best odd makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odd boosts and promo bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Let's get into it a little bit. So last night, we mentioned this early. We mentioned this often. It's part of the reason why the blues were so deflated today and why the avalanche, it was a must win for them in a game where you kind of felt if they lose, it's going to be a big, you know, terrible loss. It's the St. Louis blues traded their captain, Ryan O'Reilly, former Av and depth forward, Noel Achari to the Toronto Maple Leafs for a crap load of picks, some depth players, uh, you know, Minnesota got involved to retain salary. Basically what I learned from this trade is Minnesota spending their extra salary cap space on retention deals to get cap, to get uh, extra draft capital they're not going to be buyers. The St. Louis Blues obviously started selling already with the Tarasenko and McCullough trade. Um, but we've now seen Bo Horvat and Ryan O'Reilly, two centers that the Avalanche were probably looking at, both get traded. So where do you turn from here? Because about three weeks ago, it was Bo Horvat, it was Ryan O'Reilly, it was Sean Monahan, it was Jonathan Taves. The former two have been traded. The latter two seem to have some injury issues and haven't played in a little while. So what say you about the Avalanche and their search for a second-line center? 
Yeah, this is one of those things that becomes, I think, a, a problem for the avalanche moving forward the longer it goes, right? Like, I think people are pretty divided on whether or not O'Reilly seemed like a possibility for the avalanche. I think it was the perfect fit for this organization. You know, someone who is probably more mature enough has moved on from the dramatics of what's gone on. I know Joe Sackick was involved at the time. He's obviously been promoted upward, so it's mostly Chris McFarland at this point you know a chance to reset come in with an organization that has a legitimate shot at winning the stanley cup again you know he's young but he's not getting any younger um and we all know what he can do on the ice regardless of whether he's had a good season this year or not i think st louis has just woefully underperformed all year and that's not all on him so you lose that opportunity right you lose bo horvat he was probably looking for a deal longer than you wanted to give him anyway so how does that go i don't know Maybe you bring in O'Reilly at the end of his deal again, if you can fit it, right? Eric Johnson's money's coming off the books. Jonathan Taves, illness. And that's the real question mark, right? Yeah. What kind of illness are we looking at? Is it something where, you know, he's got uh, a disease? Is it something where he's got a you know, mono or something, right? Like, what is the concern here? What is the real issue? Is this a guy suffering from long COVID, which nobody knows anything about, really? You don't know, and that makes it risky. I think he is a good solution, but one that is expensive. And that is the biggest question for Taves or Patrick Kane. You know, maybe you bring in Patrick Kane and you go, screw the center. We just need a guy who can feed people the puck, right? That's what he can do. He can score and he can feed people the puck. He's not an up-tempo guy that Jared Bednar is looking for, but he's talented. Where do you go from here? I think the, the market now has changed drastically. You see that Toronto is all in and it's an arms race if you want to compete against them. I think, you know, everybody looks at it and says, can they do it mentally? Toronto is a team that has underperformed every year. There's been expectations on them. So what happens from here? I don't know. And what is the arms race solution to this? If you are you trying to stack up against Dallas and Winnipeg right now? Or are you looking at the Eastern Conference and saying, how do we beat Boston? How do we beat Toronto? That's that's what it comes down to for me. I, I'm not sure which player or players that is. Yeah. So kind of the way that I've turned now and the way that I'm shifting now, in my opinion, obviously, I am no Chris McFarlane, nor am I Joe Sackick, nor do I pretend to play one on TV. But kind of the way that I've shifted now with Ryan O'Reilly being traded, because I, too, agree, like that would have been the perfect fit for the Avalanche. But with him walking or being traded with Bo Horvat being traded and resigning with what's going on with Jonathan Taves and Sean Monahan is obviously a lower echelon, but he would have been a rental as well that, you know, again, Sean Monahan, someone that I think skated yesterday or two days ago, like he still could be an option. He could be a viable option for the avalanche, but with the way this season's going, the fact that you don't have a ton of assets, if you're the avalanche, but you do have a few years here where you expect to kind of, you know, challenge for the cup. I think this year, if you're going to be a buyer at the deadline, if you're going to be aggressive, which they will be because no one season will ever be wasted. If you're going to be aggressive at the deadline, you got to get players with a little bit of term. I don't think this is the year with O'Reilly off the board. I do not think this is the year for rentals. There's two names that stick out to me. Again, I don't even know if these guys are available. Please do not tweet and say they're available because I am saying this, but two names that stick out to me and hell, I'll even throw in a third name. The first one is Adam Henrique of the Anaheim Ducks. 
Adam Henrique is obviously he's an older veteran of a centerman. He is born in 1990, so he's 33 years old. He just turned 33. He's under contract for this season and next season. This year, he's got 19 goals, 33 points in 55 games. Last year, he had 19 goals, 42 points in only 58 games. So obviously, he had some injury issues last year. This year, he seems to be pretty healthy with his 19 goals and you know playing pretty much every game for the Ducks. He's a guy that, again, you got to get teams to retain salary, and it's hard to get teams to retain salary when it's more than just for this year. But he's a guy that if the Anaheim Ducks retain 50% of his salary, he is below uh, $3 million. He would come in at 2.9, and he would be a good second-line center for next year, making you know $0.6 million less than what JT Confer is making right now as what should be your third-line center. Another name that sticks out to me, aside from him, is Boone Jenner. Boone Jenner plays for the Columbus Blue Jackets, obviously. He's a, he's their captain, I think, right now, which is pretty wild to think. The Avalanche had interest in Boone Jenner back in the Matt Duchesne uh, trade period of 2017. Uh, he's 29 years old, 16 goals, 14 assists, 30 points. He's also a guy that if you can get the Columbus Blue Jackets to retain just a little bit of money on him, um, you're going to have some guy, you're going to have a guy for the next few years. He only makes 3.75. So you don't need them to retain a lot, maybe even a million. You get him at 2.75, not just for this year, but three more seasons after this. Those are the types of players that if you're the avalanche, you got to go out and look at, you know, Mikhail Grandland, if the Nashville Predators try to sell. Uh, I don't think this guy's available. This next name, I don't know if I don't know if he'll ever be available, but Nick Schmaltz of the Arizona Coyotes. He makes 5.8, but he's a point-per-game guy. He's under contract for a few more years. Obviously, you'd need a little bit of that retained if you're the Avs. These are the types of players. Don't go out and trade for Ryan O'Reilly. Don't go out. You know, he's obviously off the board, but don't go out and trade for Jonathan Taves if it's going to cost a lot, if he's not healthy, because he's not going to cost a lot. Don't go out and try to find the next big rental piece. Bring in somebody that, if this season ends up being a bust, if you end up getting into the playoffs and Gabe Landeskog's hurt and Kale McCarr's got a concussion and Bowen Byram's out again and Evan Rodriguez is in and out of the lineup and you got one goalie and he gets hurt and suddenly it's Johansson and Eustace Annan and everything's just going to hell, you at least know that whoever you traded for, you got him again next year. You're going to have a healthy lineup next year. You might lose JT Comper, Evan Rodriguez. You're going to shift some things around and you're going to go all in next year with the guy you trade for before March 3rd. It's a great point because I, you know, it's easy to forget the Avs brought in Cogliano, Manson, Sturm, right? Lekkonen last year, re-signed Cogliano, re-signed Manson, let Sturm go, and relatively lucked out in that yeah. regard, right? That you won the Stanley Cup with these guys, and maybe, maybe that is enough to say, hey, Josh, don't go back to California, although I don't know why he would. You know, Andrew, if you're going to keep playing, we'd love to have you. Here's the deal, right? I mean, quick, boom, boom, signings, too, for this team. like And signings that made a lot of sense, but that's not going to happen every year. And like you said, if everything starts to to break down and fall apart, it would be very easy for guys without term to to look at Boston or somewhere, right? Look at the next team and be like, I'll go there. Like Evan Rodriguez could easily use this as a year to earn a big payday, and off he goes somewhere else. Like yeah. th th those are the considerations. So I do agree that bringing somebody in with term makes the most sense. And again, you know, while you are in a Stanley cup championship window, you don't want to just hemorrhage the entire future, right? You can't do that because then the next window is a bad window 
instead mm-hmm. of, you know, maybe a retool on the fly here or there kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, look at the LA Kings, the LA Kings, they kind of dropped out of contention from what they were a decade ago, but they didn't completely bottom out. They're not doing what the Blackhawks are doing because they're not trading everything like the Blackhawks did who were trading uh, Philip Deneau for um, what's that guy's name? Del Weiss and Thomas Fleischman and, and Tavo Teravainen. They gave him away for nothing. And like, you don't want to see your team making those kind of deals. We saw the Avalanche do it, you know, in their first era of being a great team. My favorite thing growing up when I was a teenager was like looking at random players that were stars on other teams and seeing drafted by the Avalanche or not even stars, just like good players. And you're like, holy shit, when like, you know, Keith Ballard, Tom Gilbert was a good defenseman for a while. Robin Regeer was drafted, I think, by the Avalanche. Uh, Sammy Paulson on the famous third line that won a cup with Anaheim, like so many players were traded away by this team in that first era. You kind of want to make sure that doesn't happen again. You obviously had to trade Drew Hellison and Justin Barron to get Lekkinen and Manson, but they're two young guys, well, younger for Lekkinen, I should say, that are going to be locked up now here for at least the next four years um, that are going to give you something. So you're not trading them for rentals. You got to make sure you find a way to use your assets responsibly, smartly, and really find a way to make sure that it's not always for rentals. You're not always going out and trading for Patrick Nemeth and Derek Brassard and Vlad Nemesnikov and all these guys that are going to give you Sean Mathias that are going to give you 20 games, a half-assed playoff run, and that's it. So Carl uh, Soderberg. Carl Soderberg. God bless that guy. Traded for uh they traded a prospect for him, Ryder Rolston, uh, the son of Brian Rolston, I believe. Um when you look too at the depth that we have seen this year, and I think one thing that has become clearer is that where the Avalanche are at now with their young development. I mean, it's not there, right? Like we saw a revolving door of AHLers come up into this lineup and not stay. When Martin Kaut was the best solution, whether it was for AHL level talent or just the ability for guys to get AHL experience while he was the one up, you know, there just wasn't a lot of wow factor coming from these guys. There wasn't anybody who really could step in. I mean, even Ben Myers, who seems the most ready, is a pretty up and down guy. Like he can have real good moments and he can have moments where he disappears. Alex Newhook in his second season can have real good moments and moments where he disappears. And so if you're going to sacrifice the future, you have to keep in mind that a lot of what the avalanche have at this moment is not ready for NHL minutes. Yeah. And you got to make sure that you get a little better at drafting and developing because The reason why teams like Tampa Bay are able to continuously do what they've done, trading Nolan Foote and a first for Blake Coleman, trading another first for Goudreau, trading two firsts and a couple of young kids for for Brandon Hagel, trading Matthew Joseph for um, Nick Paul. The reason why they're able to make these deals is because they are drafting and developing young players. Ross Colton, I think he was a fourth-round draft pick, scored a cup-winning goal. He's on the team. That's why they were able to trade someone like Taylor Radish. That's why they're able to trade someone like Boris Kachuk. Meanwhile, the Avalanche are out here trading their big young prospects and Martin Kaut for another team's, you know, failed bust of a prospect in in, in Merkley. So you got to have some players that can turn into draft and not into draft capital into trade assets. And they just don't seem to have that right now. And uh, if you're going to go out like you have already with with all these trades in the past, and continue to trade second, third, and fourth, and fifth round draft picks, you know, once you trade your first, you're pretty much off the board, just like last year, not drafting until the sixth and seventh round. Obviously, you want to cut, but again, 
you got to win some cups. You got to be in this window, but also not completely mortgage the future while you're doing it. Yeah, the crazy thing about sports is it's win now this year, but also don't sell the farm in the future, right? You hand yeah. handcuff yourself. And not every every trade, you know, failed prospect for failed prospect trade is a failure. We've got Ryan Graves, mm-hmm. who obviously panned out very well in the, the Chris Begress swap, but that's kind of the exception at this point. It's not the yeah. rule, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. expect that out of Merkley. And like you said, you you just can't you can't do that every time. You've got to take everything into consideration. It's a holistic outlook to this team, and that's where we are. Like, what do you do? Yeah, and we'll and, see. And and you know, you'll remember a lot of these names. Why did they have to even trade Chris Begrides? Because he wasn't developed properly. A couple of other second round picks. AJ Greer finally now has found a spot on a team, and he's a fourth liner. Uh, Nicholas Malosh was he was he playing for St. Louis today? I think. Uh, I don't know if he was playing for St. Louis, but he did go Who to San he? Jose, and then I believe San Jose. He went to that's Ottawa. where he's playing. That's where he's playing. San Jose. I think he's in Ottawa now. I don't even think he's with San Jose anymore. Maybe okay. he went the other way. Maybe he went to Ottawa and then San yeah. Jose. But yeah, Nick Malosh, AJ Greer, Mason Gertson, uh, you know, Connor Bleakley. So... Like we want to roll through two drafts worth of guys that didn't pan out. JC Bowden, uh, all of these guys that came through with high expectations and low development Chris um, and, may, and, and maybe some of it, name. maybe it's someone drafting, you know, Chris Beagra yeah. also suffered from some serious concussion issues and yeah. that delayed his development as well. So, you know, it's, it's tough there, but you don't want to have the years like the avalanche had where, you know, Nick Holden and Nate Gennon are like your second <laughs> defensive pairing, like no disrespect to those guys. I say it all the time. I watch Nick Holden, shut down guys like Patrick Kane in his prime and Alex Ovechkin, who is somehow still in his prime, but in his, prime, but being sheltered when he was sheltered, you're like, okay, we, we're not going to win a lot of games with this setup. Yeah. That's just how it is. Like you, you can't, those are the years where the season is a wash and you just have bodies to get you to the guys you're developing to get you to the draft picks you're bringing in the kale McCars and what have you. You don't want to go through that if you can avoid it. And that's why you can't just hemorrhage the future on rentals all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Oscar Alausen, Sean Barron. These are the big names at the top of the list right now for the Avalanche. Eustace Anunin. Uh, who knows what they're going to turn into, but you got to develop these guys because you're going to need them, not just as as trade capital and trade assets, but you're going to lose some guys along the way. You know, is it going to is it going to be possible to have Bo Byram, Kale McCarr, and Devon Taves all locked up long term? And that's nothing to say for Sam Gerrard, who you might have to trade before then. Um, if not, you're going to need Sean Barons to step in. He's at DU right now. You're going to need Eustace Anonen when Alexander Georgiev, if or when he has three good years with the Avalanche and wants big money like Grubauer did. You're going to need a goalie to step in. You're going to need um, a forward to step in. You know, Toronto for so many years had Matthews, Nylander, Marner, and they had JVR. They had Tyler Bozak. They had uh, Nazem Kadri, And suddenly they had to fill in, you know, with guys like Michael Bunting making league men. And, you know, they lost Connor Brown. They lost Zach Hyman. You're going to start to lose the JT Confers on this team. Arturi Lekkinen in three, four years. You're going to start to lose these guys. So Oscar Alausen, step right up. Like, you need to develop these guys, but uh, you know that's 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 some that's a, that's a deeper rooted issue for this team. It's they won the Stanley Cup based off of a lot of trades and high draft picks, which they hit on. Um, but we're just 13 days away from the trade deadline. But let's wrap it up here because we're we're hitting an hour here on a Saturday game where the Avalanche beat St. Louis four to one. Any closing thoughts, Ryan? 
No, I just, you know, I was really happy to have a Sunday off. And then I looked at the schedule yesterday <laughs> and was like, oh, I don't have the Sunday off and neither nope. do the Avalanche. It's a, Luckily, it's a day game. I would be excited for brunch at Ball Arena, but we know that's not going to happen based on <laughs> historical trends. So uh, I might have to get up early and make some breakfast and then I can have pasta lunch at uh, Ball Arena. <laughs> Pasta lunch at 11.30 a.m. God, yeah. Gotta love what's happening in that kitchen this year. But let's wrap her up here. Thank you again for joining me. Um, I'm expecting we should have JJ back by next weekend. But even when we get him back, it would be nice to get a roundtable going. You, me, him, maybe even throw Peter in there. It's, get, a good, get a good conversation going here before the deadline. Um, but as per usual, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out ya.